I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Holly Lynch, Executive Director of the Petrie Flom Center for Health Law Policy, Biotechnology, and Bioethics at Harvard Law School. Professor Lynch has written a perspective article on physicians' discrimination against obese patients and others. Professor Lynch, you mentioned a few different bases for recent discrimination by physicians, including not just obesity, but also vaccine refusal. Some physicians have justified denying care to children whose parents declined to have them vaccinated, citing the need to protect the health of the other children in the practice, which of course is a health-related argument. Can you describe the health-related arguments that have been made for turning away obese patients? Sure. So why don't I start on the vaccination point, which is to note that it's not just about narrowly protecting the health of other children in their practices, but also about protecting in children in general through what you might call a negative incentive. So basically, the idea is withholding something that people want in order to get them to do what you want. So in this context, the idea would be that physicians can encourage parents to get their children vaccinated, which is good for all children, by threatening to withhold something that the parents want, namely care for their children at a particular pediatric practice. So care is essentially being used here as a bargaining chip to encourage a certain type of health-related behavior. Similarly, in the obesity context, the idea might be that if doctors reject overweight and obese patients, that will serve as another incentive for patients to lose weight, which will thereby improve their health. Is that, in your mind, an argument with any validity? Is that an appropriate professional response? I, I really don't think so. I don't think these arguments hold up to scrutiny at even the most basic level. I think it's a convoluted approach, really, to withhold care from patients who need it in hopes that they'll be encouraged to take steps to improve their own health. Um, in many cases, I think the preferable approach would be to accept these overweight and obese patients and support them in achieving a healthier lifestyle. And frankly, I doubt that the withholding care approach would be successful in this context, right? Most people don't need any additional incentive to lose weight. They just need help doing what they already wish to do. Overall, uh, my bet here is that most instances of rejection of overweight and obese patients are actually not rooted in these health-related concerns at all or concerns for patient well-being. I think more often it's probably the case that physicians are worried about liability from complications that are more common in these populations. Um, they might be worried about injuries to their staff. And alternatively, although I think rarely, physicians might be exhibiting some flat-out prejudice. In that regard, you also discussed in your article discrimination based on patient's sexual orientation or gender identity. What have physicians' justifications been in those instances? Right. So here, it's it's not a health-related argument at all. The arguments have really centered around physician conscience and the idea that they should not be expected or forced to provide care that conflicts with their deeply held moral or religious beliefs. So, for example, a physician might be perfectly happy providing fertility treatments to married heterosexual couples, but might refuse to do so for a lesbian couple on the grounds that it would violate their religious beliefs or their beliefs about 
about appropriate family structure. A very clear line, I think, should not be crossed between permissibly objecting to a particular service across the board for any patient and impermissibly discriminating against particular patients. So I would generally support a physician who refused to provide fertility treatments to any patient because he finds such intervention morally objectionable. On the other hand, I would strongly disfavor allowing physicians to pick and choose between patients on medically irrelevant grounds. Um, one important thing to note, though, is that state laws protecting conscience actually don't often make that fine-tuned distinction between permissible and impermissible conscientious refusal. And with regard to state laws, you indicate that less than half the states prohibit healthcare discrimination based on sexual orientation or gender identity. Given the current social political climate, including the rapid shift in favor of same-sex marriage, do you foresee changes in those state laws? Can answer this one quickly? Yes. Yes, I do. I think these changes are on the horizon, and I hope that they'll happen quickly. It's really only a matter of time as civil rights laws become more and more inclusive that we'll see these sorts of things being added um, in various states that don't have them already, and hopefully also at the federal level. Um, on the other hand, the political and legislative processes can be slow, especially in the absence of a highly publicized case of discrimination that grabs the public's attention and leads to outrage. Um, in the interim, though, broad statements of professional ethics can be helpful. For example, prohibitions against invidiously discriminatory behavior of any kind. Um, of course, these professional statements don't have the same bite as a legal prohibition, but they're, they're certainly a good first step. You mentioned in your article that rejecting patients because of behavior such as smoking or playing contact sports or doing some other risky thing is actually legally within the realm of physician discretion. Are there known cases of such physician policies? If so, how have they played out? I'm not actually aware of any specific examples where this has been the case. I, I offered them as hypotheticals meant to demonstrate the range of physician discretion. Um, again, I didn't really have a particular case in mind. But you can imagine the same sort of health-forcing motivations that we were talking about earlier could crop up here as well. So, for example, withholding care might be used as a chip to push vaccination or weight loss. And you could easily see the same flawed rationale being applied to smokers, you know, quit or you're on your own, that type of thing. Um, you might also see a similar rationale applied to parents who allow their children to play high-risk sports. Again, though, I don't think this approach is the right way to go. Um, much more can be accomplished through care, conversation, reasoned argument, and medical support than what I think is sort of a, a quasi-bullying behavior, in fact, on the part of physicians. You know, do this or else. Getting back to obese patients, there's some question about whether the Americans with Disabilities Act would offer some protection in cases such as these. Can you tell us in what cases you think it might apply and in which it wouldn't? Sure. So this is a, a relatively open and evolving area of the law, particularly as it relates to healthcare discrimination. So I'm going to have to ask you to bear with me because I think this, this response can get um, a bit long-winded, although I'll try to make it not too legalistic. Um, 
As background, the ADA does not venture to list all of the particular conditions that it offers protections for, all of the specific disabilities. Instead, it defines disability in three possible ways. First, as having a physical or mental impairment that substantially limits one or more major life activities. Second, is having a record of such impairment, even if you're not currently impaired at the moment. And third, and this is critical here, being regarded as having such an impairment, even if you don't have it now, even if you've never had it, just the perception that you were impaired in some way. So against that background, the law prohibits discrimination on the basis of disability in things like public accommodations, employment, transportation, government services, and the like. So if we start with the employment context where the law is most commonly applied, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission actually recently explicitly stated that severe obesity may qualify as a disability under the ADA, and also that it's not necessary to demonstrate that the condition is caused by some physiological disorder as opposed to being self-inflicted through you know, some lack of character or willpower. So employ excuse me, employers cannot discriminate against obese individuals who are able to perform the essential functions of their job, and the law thereby offers protection in that context against unfounded prejudices and assumptions about the capabilities of such workers. So that background is helpful to extrapolate into the healthcare context in some ways, but it's important to note that the healthcare context of discrimination, um, in that world, discrimination against the obese is probably less connected to impairment or perceptions of impairment than it would be in the workplace. And what I mean by that is that an employer cares about whether an employee can do the job or whether the employee will be impaired. But impairment, again, and that's the key aspect of the definition of disability under the law, should generally be completely irrelevant to the physician. The physician doesn't need to rely on the patient to do any task or accomplish any goal. So healthcare discrimination against the obese is more likely to have to do with their physical appearance or characteristics than any impairment. And appearance is not considered a disability under the ADA. Now, <laughs> to continue on this, this line of thought, on the other hand, though, the ADA does protect against discrimination on the basis of being regarded as impaired. So discrimination against patients on the ground that their weight renders them less capable or lacking in mental discipline or because of other stigmas related to weight, that would fall within the law's purview. The problem is that that type of discrimination would be quite difficult for a patient to prove. I think the best bet under the ADA might be the law's prohibition against disability discrimination in places of public accommodation. And there, the law forbids imposing eligibility criteria that would tend to keep disabled people from fully and equally enjoying services and facilities that are available to others. And it also requires reasonable modifications to policies and practices when those modifications are necessary to ensure access. So physicians' offices and hospitals are indeed places of public accommodation. So policies that call for rejection of obese patients due to concern for lack of appropriate equipment, for example, could be a violation of the law as applied to patients who meet the definition of disability, which again is linked to impairment. So this is a very convoluted um, 
winding path to get to uh, liability here. In those contexts, the legally appropriate response to such disabled patients would be to obtain the necessary equipment that you need to treat them appropriately and ensure equal access rather than to completely bar them from your practice. So, you know, taking a step back here, if all of this sounds as clear as mud, it's because it unfortunately is very unclear at the moment. Um, If we were to take the example of the Massachusetts physician who decided to reject all new patients over 200 pounds because she was concerned for staph injuries. Um, Now, aside from the fact that lots of patients over that 200-pound threshold would not be overweight, let alone obese, um, that approach doesn't really seem to be based on any perception of certain patients as impaired or disabled. And indeed, it would apply to lots of patients who are not impaired at all. So in that context, I think the ADA would offer very little help. There's no discrimination on the basis of disability. Um, So the, the bottom line here, to the extent there is one, is that rejection of overweight and obese patients who are neither impaired to the extent of being disabled nor regarded as impaired would be legally permissible under the law. Rejection of an obese patient who is disabled um, could also be permissible so long as the disability was not the reason for the rejection. I think the only problem under the ADA would come up if a disabled, obese patient were to be rejected on that basis and could prove that was the case. So, you know, as you can see, even as the ADA is improving the situation for obese workers, I don't think it's going to be the most helpful approach for obese patients. And really, at the end of the day, um, in my opinion, reliance on simple medical professionalism and the commitment to caring for those who are in need has much more to offer than this uh, winding road through, through ADA jurisprudence long answer. (laughs) Bottom line, you would not advise an obese patient to seek the label of disability. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's going to help very much in the healthcare context, although it might be helpful elsewhere. Um, One strange thing here in this context is that according to the most recent CDC numbers, more than a third of U.S. adults and about 17% of U.S. children ages 2 to 19 are obese. So that would be a lot of Americans to categorize as disabled. On the other hand, there is one possible benefit of applying this label, but I think it's more social than legal. And that's um, in the sense that applying the disability label might push an understanding of obesity as something that's not necessarily a choice. And that that type of cultural shift could help in terms of reducing stigma and discrimination. On the other hand, it's possible that that approach could backfire, leading to additional discrimination and stigma on the basis of disability itself. So, you know, another possible option to pursue that could potentially offer um, greater protection would be uh, adding obesity or weight to laws prohibiting against personal appearance discrimination. And that has been attempted in a handful of jurisdictions. These laws vary um, in terms of what's covered. Basically, they they can cover things like height, weight, and other personal characteristics. And that would offer a more direct approach than focusing on disability because it would avoid the need to show impairment. 
but I think it's probably likely to run into similar problems of proof. Why was I rejected from a physician's practice? Why was I discriminated against? And in fact, the few existing laws that prohibit appearance discrimination have really been relied on quite infrequently. So the, the bottom line answer is I, I don't think disability is, is really the right way to go here. Most of the cases involving rejection of obese patients have involved prospective patients. Are there protections in place for patients who have an established relationship with a physician? There are. So the same baseline protections apply in the sense that a physician may not dismiss existing patients for any reason that's prohibited by law or contract. And that's the same, you know, for the circumstances in which they might be able to reject new patients. There are also more substantial protections for existing patients because once the relationship has been established, a physician has an obligation to avoid abandonment, meaning that a patient can't be dismissed in a way or at a time that would be detrimental to his or her well-being. So in practice, what that means is that a physician may find him or herself liable to a patient for damages if the relationship was terminated at a critical stage of the patient's treatment without good reason or sufficient notice to allow the patient to find another qualified physician and that results in injury to the patient. So as opposed to the physician who's rejecting a potential patient, the physician who dismisses an existing patient must generally provide sufficient notice of the intent to end the relationship, continued care for some period of time, and maybe even some assistance in locating alternative equivalent care. Now, in the refusal to vaccinate cases, those are interesting because note there that it's the patient or the patient's family that's actually refusing care, which makes any argument that the dismissing physician has abandoned the patient more difficult, right? They're not refusing to do anything for the patient. It's the patient who's refusing care. Um, So assuming the patient is otherwise healthy and not in need of anything other than preventative care, the abandonment argument really isn't going to hold much water in in those cases. You say that these cases are actually quite rare. Do you have a sense of just how rare they are? Or is there perhaps a submerged iceberg that isn't reported because patients are ashamed or because it's too subtle for them to prove? So I, I think most doctors recognize that it's counterproductive and unprofessional to discriminate against patients on the basis of their health problems. And that's exactly what's happened in the few cases that we've heard about of overt discrimination against the obese. But it is difficult to get good numbers on this for precisely the reasons that you mentioned. Discrimination can be subtle, especially if it doesn't lead to rejecting or firing patients or if the reasons for doing so are submerged behind some pretext. And you can imagine all sorts of other reasons that a patient might be given, right? My practice is too full, I'm not accepting new people. Don't necessarily have to tell them exactly why you're not accepting new new patients. And that can make gathering empirical data about this problem challenging. Um, the data that does exist suggests that rejection on the basis of vaccine refusal is somewhat commonplace, but that's decidedly different, in my opinion, from rejecting patients on grounds that they have no control over, right? I mean, it is a choice to not get vaccinated. I think rejecting patients on grounds that are just part of their being, involuntary characteristics, I think that's probably much less frequent outside the context of conscientious refusals to offer certain services to certain patients, such as fertility services to lesbians, as I was mentioning before. But even that I don't think is 
commonplace, although it does happen with some frequency. Now, in terms of things, uh, discrimination on the basis of things like race, gender, or weight, we do know that physicians suffer from inherent biases, just like the rest of us, and sometimes those biases can substantially impact care. At the end of the day, I think that's what we need to be much more worried about, far more so than explicit policies discriminating against patients, particularly because doctors themselves, as professional as they may be, might not even be aware that they harbor these biases. And so I think that's what we ought to be worried about, implicit bias, which is probably quite a bit more common than these overt cases of discrimination. Thank you, Professor Lynch. Thank you.